Welcome to the Grass-Fed Podcast with certified nutrition consultant and creator of the wellness hub, grassfedgirl.com, Caitlin Weeks. Listen in while she interviews her natural-minded friends and colleagues about how to enjoy relaxed paleo and low-carb living. Caitlin's husband, professional chef and co-author of Mediterranean Paleo Cooking, Nabil Boomrar, often stops in to answer questions about gluten-free cooking. Get ready to learn about a holistic lifestyle that is rewarding and fun. the grass-fed podcast thanks for joining us today we're so excited because we have leanne vogel from healthfulpursuit.com she has a great new book called the keto diet and we're so excited because that's one of our favorite topics over here and everyone loves to hear about it so it's going to be a great show how are you today leanne welcome thanks so much for having me Caitlin. i'm doing really well thank you I got your book in the mail. It's beautiful. It's huge. It's like 400 pages and it's got so much information. So we're barely going to scratch the surface here, but we'll make, we'll make our best effort. Yeah, totally. I couldn't believe how just heavy it is. It's four pounds. (laughs) You can just do a lot of stuff. You could do beginners uh, exercise routine with that. Yes. That's what I'm saying. When you're in the kitchen, you can just, you know, like lift it over your head, maybe 20 times. (laughs) Yeah, you could start out with like a chair workout and totally. Yeah, <laughs> you're feeling my drift. Totally. Um, well, uh, I love all the detail in your book, and I know like I've been doing keto off and on for since I started getting sick or whatever. So it's probably like seven or eight years, and um, you know a lot of the principles have helped me and you know what I love about your approach is the customization which I think is missing in a lot of old school low carb diets and um and I just love that but we'll get to, we'll talk more about that in a minute but let's just tell us a little bit more about your story and how you got got into you know following the ketogenic diet and you know yeah. getting into nutrition and all that You bet. So 10 years ago, I studied nutrition and um, I was a raw food vegan at the time. I'd been vegetarian and vegan. I was on the raw food thing. Um, And when I studied nutrition, I learned that maybe birth control, like, isn't that great for you? (laughs) And I had already been taking it for, oh man, at least six years. It might even have been longer at that point. And so I decided to go off birth control and then I didn't get my period back. And the doctors were like, oh, don't worry, give it a solid year. And a year turned into two years, which turned into five years, which then was six and seven. And I never got my period back. And throughout that transition um, and trying to, you know, as a 20 something, you're kind of like, oh, no period. Great. This is so much better. Um, So I didn't really care like that much about it. Um, And I had started eating paleo, you know, transitioning from vegan uh, to paleo just because I was so tired all the time. Um, My husband has like pictures of me sleeping all over the house. I was just exhausted all the time. So I switched to paleo and started crossfitting and running and working out a whole bunch um, and still didn't get my period back. It wasn't until um, my husband and I got married that I started going on hormone replacement therapy and I went to a bunch of different specialists and they just said, you know, you've gone through menopause. Everything looks like it's just a shriveled up little raisin. You're beyond amenorrhea. You're not going to get your period back. Um, you can go on hormone replacement therapy just to kind of boost up your hormones and feel like a normal person. Um, cause I was dealing with a lot of, um, uh, brain fog. It looked like my hormones are on the light switch and everyone just turned off the light switch. Like there was, there was nothing. My cortisol was like, you were in... like 60 years old. Yes, totally. Like, yes, exactly like that. Um, so I went to see four different specialists. They all said the same thing. So I went on hormone replacement therapy and I started gaining weight, which is fine, but it was like pockets of fat on my body. It wasn't just an all around weight gain. It was just like my hips got these like bubbles on the side. It was strange. And so I was really frustrated, went to a naturopath and she said, have you heard of a low carb diet? I'm like, yeah, I've heard of it. It's super unsafe. I'm not doing that. (laughs) And, um, that very night, one of my friends posted on Instagram, a picture of a bunch of fatty foods. 
and she used just one hashtag and it was keto. I was like, what's a keto? And then I clicked on it and then I kind of just spiraled. Um, it just so happens that Jimmy Moore was launching Keto Clarity that same week. So when I clicked keto, his book came up. I contacted Victory Belt and said, hey, can I have this book? I want to review it. And that started the whole keto journey. I read his whole book in about a day and started following keto and uh, I, I mean, lost. You've been doing like your website and stuff way longer than Keto Clarity's been out. Yeah, so I started I started the website in 2010 and it was a vegan blog and then it turned into a pa- yeah, it turned into a paleo blog and then um, it was still very much vegan. Like I was paleo, but I did a lot of vegan stuff. And so I'll never forget that, uh, 2014, um, in July, I just said, Hey, vegan friends, I'm eating keto. <laughs> and I, I lost a lot of followers, but I also gained a lot. And a lot of actual vegans came along on the ride with me and I did keto for six solid months. Uh, I lost the hormone weight gain. It was about 20 pounds. Um, 12% body fat. I got really obsessed with intermittent fasting and calorie counting and macro manipulation. And it wasn't until about November of that year where I was at one of my lowest weights in a very long time, um, feeling very sick. Uh, my brain felt great. I had had ADHD. Um, so my brain was feeling fabulous, but, um, I was losing hair, like big chunks of hair, like not just a little bit, but a ton. And I wasn't sleeping. I'd gone six days with zero sleep. And I just figured there has to be a better way. You know, like keto made me feel so good. And uh, I kind of got lost around, you know, I got lost with it. I went on keto to get my hormones back. And then I got distracted by weight loss. Uh, And my brain felt good but I wasn't sleeping and I was getting a lot of pain in my throat, which I later learned was thyroid issues. And, uh, yeah, so then that's kind of where the fat fueled protocol came about of just this frustration of, I love keto. It's given me all these things, but it's also caused some of these issues for me. How do I merge the two together? And, um, I developed the fat fueled approach by, um, speaking with tons of clients and my community and testing on myself, reading lots of uh, different medical papers and such. And after nine months, I got my period back and doctors are like, what? (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of the roundabout way of how I found keto. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds so similar to me and so many other girls, I'm sure women that have, you know, gone through the same thing. Um, did you have a thyroid problem or not? It just was like on the verge or something. Oh, uh, my thyroid is totally toast. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had been tested for hypothyroidism years and years ago, and the doctor told me to go on Synthroid, and I said no. And that was... Good idea. Yeah, right? I'm actually thankful that that was a thing. I would have rather been on nothing than Synthroid. Um, and I just didn't know that there were other options. So I just said no, and that was probably about two years before I found keto. And then I think with just... I was eating maybe 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. So I think that that definitely um, kind of put the nail in the coffin for my thyroid. So I had to go on desiccated thyroid uh, for quite some time. And now I think I started off with like 125 milligrams. And now I'm around 40-ish. It's kind of where I find I'm best. So I've definitely done a lot of work for my thyroid. But yeah, it was it was a pretty sad thyroid a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean... You know, sensory is better than nothing, I guess, when you have the, you have the, I mean, you need thyroid hormones to to live. So, um, I mean, most people do better with like a combination, of course, and uh, of the T3 and T4 or something like that. And, um, and uh, so one thing that's really cool about your book is all these meal plans. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, you bet. So with the fat fuel approach, I really started chatting with a bunch of people and doing a bunch of research, like I said, and realizing that, you know, what you're saying, Caitlin, is that the customization really is missing from the ketogenic approach. And so I developed what I call five different fat fuel profiles for the ketogenic diet. So uh, the first one is your standard ketogenic protocol. So that's like the low carb, high fat. It's going to be your fastest route to ketosis. Um, the problem is, is that it can be heavily restrictive. 
Um, and if people, and I've seen this time and time again, if they're not eating enough protein, like they think, well, if moderate protein gets me into ketosis quick, then what if I don't eat any protein? Then I'll get into ketosis even quicker. So there can be issues with not getting enough protein intake and that actually causing um, cortisol issues, adrenal dysfunction and such. Um, so for people that uh, need that more classic approach, uh, that's one of the meal plans in the book. It's 28 days and kind of goes through what I call classic keto, which is a whole food-based approach to the ketogenic diet. So you're not going to find artificial sweeteners or um, dairy or grains or um, weird foods uh, that aren't whole. Uh, so it's more of a paleo approach to keto of the standard keto approach. And then the second meal plan that's also 28 days is what I like to call pumped keto, and that's another fat field profile. So um, this can help balance blood sugar and lower cortisol with by having enough protein. And it's not something that I would recommend people follow all the time. Like I wouldn't start a ketogenic diet by eating a ton of protein. Um, but I've found that some people don't do well in the classic approach to keto ketosis. Uh, so having more protein can be a good alternative for people that are very sensitive to carbohydrates. Um, because the kind of the third option to the meal plans are three different meal plans um, structured around including carbohydrates at night in various different times. So all in all, there are five different meal plans in the book. And these last three meal plans are um, full keto, adapted fat burner, and daily fat burner. And with full keto, you are eating ketogenic until you become fat adapted. And then you're having what I like to call a carb up once a week. And then with adapted like, fat burner. I like the sound of that. Right? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> An adapted fat burner, you are eating keto until you get fat adapted, usually a couple of weeks. And then you're having carb ups maybe twice, maybe three times in a week. And then with daily fat burner, fat field profile, it's right from the get-go, you're eating keto all day, and then in the evening, you're having a touch of carbs. And the reason I put in the daily fat burner, fat field profile is that there are some individuals that their body is so imbalanced and in need of so many nutrients and things that the thought of going through the ketogenic process and you know, upping electrolytes and, you know, you're going to not feel that great as you switch over. It's just too taxing on their body for that current point. So the daily fat burner fat field profile is great for people, uh, perhaps with adrenal dysfunction, like very serious adrenal dysfunction, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, even if you have very intense, um, hypothyroidism. So to kind of take people through how to be ketogenic without having to go through that massive, process of becoming fat adapted. Uh, it, you will become fat adapted. It'll just take longer. So those are kind of the five different approaches to the fat field profiles is what I call them. And each one has their own 28 day meal plan um, and the ability to switch from one to the other without having to buy all new ingredients. So this part of the book took me the longest because seriously, <laughs> it's a lot of moving parts, but um, makes it very effortless for people to just jump right in and get started um, and also like reuse ingredients, uh, and not have to go to the store and buy a bazillion dollars worth of different things. So that's great because you, so many people, I think, well, they do have adrenal dysfunction or, you know, fatigue and, um, and they're so afraid. I mean, they may not know it, of course, but the, the, they get so freaked out about this keto flu thing and then they won't even try it. And it's like, well, that's, you know, really mild, I mean, really short time. And, and that's great that you kind of ease them in or give them options, like start from here. And that's what I love about, I mean, I feel like I've kind of done all the phases of your meal plans <laughs> for myself without even knowing it, you know, um, because it was like, okay, I'm not feeling so great. So I'm going to, you know, shift this or shift that, but you've done all the work for people so they don't have to spend like 10 years doing it like I did. So that's awesome. You can cut, cut to the chase. And um, I know you're kind of like, you don't have as much dairy as like a traditional, you know, Atkins style kind of diet. What, <clears throat> what is your feelings about that? 
Yeah, I just, for me personally, dairy has never been that fabulous for my body. Um, anytime I have any dairy, even ghee, unfortunately, I break out um, on my face, specifically on my forehead. And I find, you know, with my clinical practice and working with tons of people all over the world, I've always had an online business um, to just see how harming dairy can be oftentimes you know people are eating dairy and they're complaining about you know inflammation or you know their immune system being compromised uh you know acne being a huge one and not really paying attention to the quality of dairy Uh, there can be a lot of issues that pop up because of that so there are a lot of keto resources out there that use dairy and there are a lot of people that don't want dairy in their ketogenic protocol or you know what I find more often than not is people are coming from a paleo eating style because paleo is great don't get me wrong I love it and I wouldn't have found keto if it weren't for for paleo Um, but it there was something missing it was just a little tweak of just something and so I find a lot of people come from paleo just like it's right but it's not like there's just something missing um so I wanted to make it uh, accessible to those people of you know a lot of us paleo peeps haven't been having dairy um so to then transition over to keto makes it a lot easier um and oftentimes people don't know how sensitive they are to dairy until they remove it um so I go kind of in the book about my thoughts on dairy like if you can do dairy 100% I've given you space in the book to add butter or ghee or even milk in place of the coconut milks and and things like that so you can totally add it back in if it feels best for your body um but I would never you give like two options yeah exactly so anytime you see any fat or coconut milk you can definitely replace it I wish I could do that I love grass-fed butter it just doesn't love me Mm -hmm. um and also, you know, the, the, there's a piece of, you know, the casein um, proteins in a lot of these things are going to increase um, your insulin growth factor, which can speed up uh, cancer cells, cause acne and more. So I, I wanted to also focus on uh, more of a therapeutic approach to the ketogenic diet um, and, and looking at, you know, how do we reduce our um, intake of those hormones in milk and such and just looking at it from a quality perspective I just didn't feel like dairy needed to fit into the fat field approach um so that's why I didn't include it and I haven't had dairy on keto and it sounds hard but it's really not um but if you're eating dairy right now I wouldn't recommend going keto and also removing dairy and also you know going with the hardest fat field profile and just going balls to the wall because that's not realistic and it's just a lot of pieces to juggle so this is coming from somebody that you know Caitlin we've been doing this for like you said you know 10 years and so our path has changed over that time we pick away at it it's not like tomorrow you know you you found keto after eating some McDonald's and said yeah I'm just gonna do this perfectly you know so um it's a it's baby steps toward it but I just don't feel like dairy has a place in the seating style, but if you can handle it, um, I see nothing wrong with things like ghee or grass-fed butter. Um, those things are super nutritious and amazing. It's just a lot of people have issue with them. Yeah, and I think also people don't don't take the quality thing seriously, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and you have to do periods of elimination and adding back, and those things take time and. Um, those are all things we've tried and, you know, and, and then you have to kind of look at what, you know, what are some alternatives? Because if you're not used to not eating dairy, you might, especially even if you've been doing low carb or something like that for a long time, you might not, it might not come to your mind. Like what are some, what are some alternatives in your book for, for dairy that, that that you found work, you know, to kind of fill that void? Yeah, you bet. I, I'm pretty sure there's a page in there about how to switch out dairy. Yes, there is. <laughs> you kind of um, mishmash, like, what's in the book? What did we cut out? Um, yeah, so there's a page that kind of goes through uh, 
how to replace your common dairy items with dairy-free things. So I go through how to make cheese sauce because cheese sauce is the best thing on a ketogenic diet and you will use it all of the time to, to just dredge everything in cheese. Um, so how to make cheese sauce without the cheese. So um, nutritional yeast is really great for that. Any soaking of nuts or seeds. Um, if you're sensitive to nuts, I like to use sesame seeds to soak for cheese sauce. If you can do nuts, things like cashews or even macadamia nuts are really great, um, or even some of the, like, Marsona almonds, if you soak those and then blend them with the nutritional yeast, um, that can make a pretty smooth cheese sauce, uh, or even just egg yolks, and using egg yolks, uh, yeah, like a hollandaise, you can exactly, yeah, add the nutritional yeast, you get some cheesy flavor, um, and then things simple, like, I eat actually a lot of yogurt on my ketogenic diet. It makes my gut feel really good. So where do you get the best yogurt? What are you looking for in a yogurt? Um, I really like the Yoso or Koyo brands. Um, Koyo is sweetened with a little bit of stevia, and it's thick and fatty and amazing. And Yoso makes an awesome unsweetened uh, coconut milk yogurt that's uh, less thick, but uh, super great with like a couple of like berries or nuts or seeds or sometimes I even add more MCT oil um for cheese there are recipes like zucchini cheese and things like that I didn't include that in the book um just because I find those things take a really long time to prepare and I'm not the type of person to want to spend oodles of time in the kitchen uh and so that's kind of like the cheese piece but I find milk probably the best thing to use is um full fat coconut milk um or any of your unsweetened, like almond milks, uh, that's another really good go-to. Uh, there's a recipe in there for ice cream if you're an ice cream person like me. So it's definitely um, a little transition. And then for if, if you're pretty sensitive to butter or you can't afford grass-fed butter, and that's just out of the question, um, then using things like coconut oil is going to be pretty inexpensive. And same with your rendered fats. If you can find a butcher that will render fats for you or just give fats for you to render. Um, that can be maybe like $2 for an entire jar. Whereas you'd spend maybe, you know, 11 or $12 at the store for the same size of jar. So it's just going through and educating yourself on, you know, how to swap these things out, what you like more. Um, I find of all the renders fats, I like tallow and lard the best. So that's what we keep in the house because there's no point in filling our house with things we won't eat or enjoy. And I find replacing butter in recipes with tallow is pretty similar. Um, the flavor is about the same when all is said and done. Um, and then for baking, things like cacao butter is awesome as a replacement for butter and gives sort of like this light chocolate flavor. It's the fat from chocolate and it's delicious. So there's lots of options. Oh, yeah, you um, sent that in the box. Yeah, yeah, those things are great. Um, the little wafers of cacao butter dipped in almond butter. Oh my gosh, with a little bit of salt, that is my go-to snack almost every day. It's a fat, it's a fat bomb, but you didn't have to make it. You just dip the cacao wafer in the almond butter, get like a good amount in there, sprinkle it with salt. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of all that fat, like, what, what is your feeling on calories? Because I don't. I mean, people ask me, I have a big keto group on Facebook, and that's the biggest thing they always talk about is calories, and it's just like, uh, you know, it's so individual, it's hard to be like, well, this is the answer. It is, it totally is. I don't love the C word, yeah. <laughs> um, because there's there's so much more to it, I mean, a great example is when I switched over to the fat fuel protocol, I stopped counting calories and I started just tracking down what I was eating on a daily basis and how that made me feel. And about a month later, um, my sister was looking through the journal and she's like, Hey, it'd be cool to just see kind of what your intake is now. Like just looking through these things that you ate, putting it in a month later and kind of seeing where you're at. Um, and there was one day where I hit 4,600 calories <laughs> And I remember being so hungry that day and I ate all the things, but then there's days where it's maybe 1100 calories and it, it totally varies. And I think when we step away from the calorie game and we just, we eat when we're hungry, that's a really good path to go down. But there are people like myself, when I first started, um, mostly paleo I found because even with paleo, it was a lot more fat than my 
no fat vegan raw vegan approach to living so when I started eating paleo I started getting really constipated because the food volume wasn't there because as vegans if anyone's listening and is a vegan you know that you eat a lot of food and it's all about volume and you're always eating and your tummy is always full so when you switch over to something like paleo or keto all of a sudden the volume isn't there because there's more fat and so that can be challenging for people if they're volume eaters to switch over to a ketogenic eating style. If you approach keto as a volume eater, you're probably going to eat too much for your body and not even know it because you feel like you need that fullness. Um, so I would just be mindful of that. If you are a volume eater and you're switching over to keto and you need to feel that fullness, it's important for you to perhaps go on more of a protocol where you're eating a ton of um, foliage at first um, just to kind of make that fullness feeling without using fat to fill you up because fat is almost triple the amount of calories than, you know, a carbohydrate would be. So you kind of have to, um, make sure that you're not, um, using fat like you would carbohydrates because it's a different fullness feeling and there's going to be a transitionary period. I find sometimes it can last up to two months until people are okay with not having that full feeling in their bellies. Um, and now, you know, when I eat, I feel satiated by how, um, how I'm feeling with all the fat in me as opposed to, um, that full volume feeling. So I think that's where people have the most issue with when it comes to calories and a ketogenic diet. Um, but I think that there's been almost, you know, to go back to your point, Caitlin, on the customization being missing off the ketogenic diet, there's been so much focus on calories and macros. And if, you know, that message of, well, if you just shift your macros and reduce your calories, you know, your keto diet will be a success. There's so much more to it than just calories and macros. And being in a calorie deficit um, doesn't address what your metabolism is doing, <laughs> you know, where your hormones are at. And more often than not, you know, people that find a ketogenic diet are usually in the place of, you know, trying the next best diet and reducing their calories and going, you know, 1200 to 1100 to 1000 to 900 to 800, all the while just down regulating their metabolism. So it's a broader conversation, um, than just calories and macros. Is that kind of where carving up comes in and your meal plans? Yeah. So I mean, with the calorie piece, if you're a volume eater, I could see carbohydrates or carving up being good. Where I find carbohydrates and the carving up process being good with what we were just talking about is those chronic dieters who have maybe been eating keto for, let's say, a couple of months and they keep reducing their intake of calories because they keep hitting weight plateaus and they just keep reducing it and then maybe they'll lose like three pounds and then they'll maybe gain some back or... Um, this can be a sign that you're kind of stuck in this loop of your metabolism down-regulating, meaning that your body's kind of shutting off processes and reducing the amount of energy it needs to function in a day. So where carbohydrates or carb-ups can be really great is kind of stimulating that action to get back into it and boosting up your metabolism. Um, so to get, kind of give everyone an idea, a carb-up is where... In the evening, now this is key, in the evening, you are swapping out fats for carbohydrates. So what you would normally have with your ketogenic meal, um, say it's like a bunch of greens with a bunch of fat and some protein, you're kind of swapping out most of that fat. I would keep about two teaspoons or so in and then add the carbs. That piece is really important. Um, this, this approach may not be good for uh, people that are using a ketogenic diet for more of their aerobic training because they need to be in keto constantly nonstop or diabetics or insulin resistant. I would definitely chat with your healthcare team or if you've been told to follow a standard ketogenic protocol, then carb ups might not have a place for you. But you know, for women in reproductive age or who have hit a weight plateau, it's so fascinating. So if you are 
um, fat adapted, meaning you've been eating keto at least for two weeks and, you know, you're starting to crave more fat and your hunger levels are decreasing. Um, and when you are hungry, you're going toward fatty foods. You're not getting hangry. You're not craving carbohydrates. Those are good signs, um, that you are fat adapted. Once you get into that state, your body knows how to burn fat as energy and it actually prefers it more so than carbohydrates. So you've built up these enzymatic processes in order to burn uh, fat as energy. And when you eat a touch of carbs, what's going to happen is, especially at night, you are going to avoid uh, brain fog because we know that when you eat carbs first thing in the morning, all you want is like more carbs and then you get like foggy brain in the afternoon and then you eat more carbs. Um, you're going to avoid that energy crash, uh, accelerate fat, pardon me? Might help with their sleep. Yes, huge, huge, huge. Yeah, because it's going to boost up um, your serotonin, well, increase tryptophan, and then that helps to boost your serotonin, which will help you sleep through the night. Um, and yeah, way better sleep, uh, increase your insulin sensitivity, uh, boost up your leptin. So what happens when you have these carbohydrates, and we're not talking about like pounding a dozen donuts, <laughs> we're saying like, have a sweet potato and take out some coconut oil, put the sweet potato in, have it with some greens. Like think of a paleo meal um, with some sweet potato and you have that, you go to bed. The next morning you wake up, your body's burnt through generally all of those carbohydrates. In fact, it was so interesting when I was doing the research on carb ups and like why they're important and how they even work um, because I was doing carb ups and the next morning I would be right back into ketosis and like, what? Um, your body actually will maintain about the same calorie burn for protein and fat throughout your sleep, but about four hours in to about one hour before you wake up, your carbohydrate burn increases. So when you wake up in the morning, chances are you're back into ketosis, you've reset your leptin, which means you probably won't be hungry first thing in the morning, and you'll likely be able to fast all day, and you'll break the fast in the evening and you'll be fully ketogenic, and you're just going to eat the same keto foods until you need to do a carb up again. Um, and what often happens is this stimulates the body to lose that excess weight. Um, it can be really helpful um, for freeing up your food choices. So there's nothing worse than being on a ketogenic diet, and you know you go out with girlfriends, and it's somebody's birthday, and you really want a piece of cake and you're like, no, it's not keto. I won't have it. And everyone's enjoying it. And then you go home and you eat four bags of chips because you didn't have the piece of cake. So it's just about, you know, um, focusing in on how carbohydrates can also be helpful and, and making keto work for your life instead of against it. Um, we talked about leptin sensitivity, um, sleeping through the side effects of having carbohydrates, bouncing hormones. Um, yeah, so there, there are a lot of reasons why having carbo practice is okay to do. Yeah, that sounds great because I know it kind of helps to deal with some of the pe some of the reasons why people like paleo experts are anti keto because kind of gives that kind of negates those you know, objections, uh, when you get a little bit there added in. Um, so we had some questions from some of my, uh, keto group people. They, one lady wants to know, Tori S wants to know, how can I keep my energy levels up when following a keto and doing HIIT workouts daily? Yeah, so it really depends, Tori, on where you're at with your ketogenic approach. If you've been following a ketogenic diet for a couple of days, you probably won't feel great in your HIIT workouts. If you've been following them um, for maybe two weeks, this is, the, the issue with HIIT, and it's not really an issue, but it's an issue with ketosis, is that your body needs glycogen in order to do your HIIT workout. It can't really, like gluconeogenesis, which is the conversion of um, protein or fat into carbohydrates, is it's kind of a slower process. So when you're doing your HIIT workouts, your body can't work quick enough to um, convert your uh, fat or proteins over to glucose quick enough for that workout because it's over quicker than your body can get started with the gluconeogenesis, really. So if you're doing you know, HIIT workouts daily um, and you're in 
first off is, are you in optimal hormone health? Are you getting a really awesome, solid menstrual cycle? Um, you know, it's lasting about five days. It's not painful. Um, the flow is pretty good. You're not clotting. Um, these are just signs that perhaps, you know, working out every day, doing those HIIT workouts is maybe too much for your body. How's your cortisol? All those things. But if you are in optimal health and you're doing these HIIT workouts, you're just not feeling your best. I would highly recommend looking at your carb, carbohydrate intake and playing around with carb ups. I know that when I was doing daily HIIT workouts, there were easier HIIT workouts and really intense HIIT workouts. So you can kind of play around with, can you get away with the less intense HIIT workouts and just doing them in a ketogenic state? Um, and the more intense ones, preparing for it. And what I mean by preparing for it is there are a couple of options. The first one is that if, say, on Saturday, you know you're going to do a really intense HIIT workout, Friday night you may want to carb up. And then Saturday morning you're going to do your HIIT workout, feel really great. That option might work for you. Um, the second option is doing your HIIT workouts and then carving up right after. So maybe doing this really intense HIIT workout, say, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then having your carbohydrate right after. If you are more of a HIIT workout morning person, um, then another option, knowing that you're fully fat adapted, would be to have your HIIT workout in the morning, have maybe half of a banana and a protein shake, and then go about your day eating keto and either do a carb up that night or not. Um, but what should happen is if you have done a really intense HIIT workout, if you're concerned with like, did you just say have a half, half a banana on a ketogenic diet after a workout, <laughs> what happens is um, right after you've worked out, your body is uh, susceptible and your muscles are like craving that glycogen. So the minute you have that banana, it's going right into there and feeding those muscles and it's actually going to help with muscle growth. Um, now, because you said that your energy levels suck on a ketogenic diet and doing HIIT workouts, these can be some great options for you. But if there's anyone else listening other than Tori that's like, I don't understand. I feel great on my HIIT workouts on keto. Then keep doing what you're doing. But because Tori's saying that it's not working for her, um, there are other options out there. And I would definitely look at carving up in different times of the day, depending on where your workouts are situated. Um, I find that, you know, when I really got into ketosis with my HIIT workouts, I found the best strategy for me was doing the HIIT workout at around 4 o'clock, waiting, you know, going home, making dinner, making it a carb up, having that, and life was good. Um, but it'll depend because you said your energy levels were low actually during the workout. You might find that you uh, are better off doing a touch of carbs before the workout, um, that can get a little bit iffy, so definitely play around with the different approaches that I just shared and kind of see which one um, better suits you. And you'll be able to tell pretty quickly, um, you know, a week, give it a week with each different approach, carbohydrates before, carbohydrates after, only on days where you're doing a really intense workout, and, and kind of see which, which week feels better. But I wouldn't mix and match depending on the workout. Just stick with one approach, do it for a week, see how you feel, switch to the next until you find one that feels the best. Yeah. And I'd also say do maybe three days a week or something. Like if you feel really yeah. bad, like don't do it every day. Um, totally. That's a lot of hit workouts to do daily. That's yeah. intense. Like if I work out once hard, the next day I kind of like do a walk or something. Like, I mean, totally. like, but that's somebody, you know, with adrenal fatigue and Hashimoto's. So. <laughs> uh, Same here. <laughs> yeah. One hit workout a week. I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can do, like, two or three, but they're not back-to-back. -back. Yeah. Um, so you hear a lot about people who um, who want to go to the doctor, and then their doctor's, like, saying that, that keto, like, low-carb diets are bad for your liver and gallbladder, and, you know, some people have their gallbladder out, and, you know, they get all freaked out, or maybe they have... You know, they have gout and they have purine, no purines, and so they get all freaked out about, you know, how low-carb diets are going to affect their liver and gallbladder. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would say that if you have a great medical team and an awesome doctor that's been super supportive and knows your body, uh, it's definitely worth chatting with them about. Uh, I don't know, like, for my experience, when I told my doctor that I was, you know, eating ketogenically, I got the full list of all the things that was going to happen that's bad for me and blah, blah, blah. Um, but 
he wasn't the type of doctor that was really supportive with anything that I did. So, um, definitely, you know, pay attention to that. If your doctor is open to hearing your opinions and, you know, chatting with you about stuff, then it might be worthwhile having a conversation with them because they know your health best. But if they're the type of doctor that's like in, out, next, next, I don't really care. Here's my thoughts. Here's a prescription. Then maybe that's not the best medical um, team for you. And then I would encourage you to find somebody um, and find a family doctor that's more supportive. And I'm lucky enough to have found one that, although she doesn't totally um, agree with ketosis, she sees the benefits that it's having on my body. And I think any doctor that, uh, depending on where your health status is, if they're like, yeah, let's try it for three months and do some blood tests and kind of figure it out. Um, that's a cool doctor that's, that's open to learning. Um, and even so far as dentists, like I was at the dentist the other day and, and we were chatting and he, he didn't know I was on a ketogenic diet yet. He's like, Oh yeah. He, oh, he was talking to another client and he said, Oh yeah. You know, I'm seeing a lot of um, decay here. You might want to look into more of a high fat ketogenic diet. Cause that can be helpful. The carbohydrates are really hard on your teeth. And I was like, what? Um, so there definitely are medical professionals out there to support you in this, but I would say overall, um, what you're probably going to hear from a doctor is, yeah, it's really hard on your liver. Um, if you don't have a gallbladder, don't do it. Um, your kidneys are going to shrivel up and die on a ketogenic diet. You're going to get kidney stones. It's really hard on your kidneys. Um, so the first off is your gallbladder. You can completely do a ketogenic diet without a gallbladder. The only thing the gallbladder does is really store um, the bile, but your liver is going to be making the bile. Gallbladder is just the place where it's stored. So just because you don't have a gallbladder doesn't mean you can't digest fat. It's just not going to be as powerful as somebody who has that store ready to go. Um, so if you don't have a gallbladder or perhaps you have low gallbladder function, some things that can be very helpful for you is making sure that you have an ox bile supplement. So these are your enzymes likely that your doctor gave you when they removed your gallbladder or told you that you had a low functioning gallbladder. So you want to make sure that your gallbladder supplement and your enzymes have ox bile in it, and that's going to help you digest your fat. Another big one to help produce bile and break down fats is going to be sauerkraut juice. And in fact, Farmhouse Culture, um, one of my really dear friends and amazing companies, just came out with um, what they call a gut shot. And it's sauerkraut juice in a bottle, um, and you can just buy it at the health food store and drink a couple shots of that a day. Um, I do it with every meal because it's delicious and makes my digestion awesome and my skin bright and amazing. Um, so something like that can be really helpful for people that have low-functioning gallbladder or even just anyone on a ketogenic diet that wants to make sure that they're actually absorbing their fat properly. And then when it comes to liver and kidneys... I mean, your kidneys do function differently on a ketogenic diet. Um, there is going to be a different transfer of water, especially when you first get going, because every gram of carbohydrate that you eat or that you're storing um, is going to come with four grams of water. And that's why you see a lot of water uh, loss initially when you start a ketogenic diet. So your kidneys do play a role in that. So if you have massively dysfunctioning kidneys and you've had issues with your kidneys, uh, I would definitely chat with your medical team about that. As for your liver, there are definitely concerns as your liver is part of this process of becoming ketogenic. A lot of the times it can be more of a therapeutic practice, but I would definitely chat with a doctor that respects your opinions. That's a big thing and is open to um, kind of playing around and watching things in order to see whether or not a ketogenic diet would be good for you. Those are some great tips. Now, I think there's, I always think of the doctors that your insurance pays for, and then you have to have another set, another yes. set that you pay for, and then you kind of balance out the advice of the two. Um, that's my approach anyway. Uh, and I know you're in Canada, so, you know, we're all jealous of you, but Anyway, um, the constipation, that's a big thing that people complain about in my group. What are some ideas? And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about that earlier, but, I mean, it can be a big problem for people. And um, what are some things you found about that? When yeah, you bet. It was a huge problem. Pardon me? When they're transitioning to a ketogenic diet or low-carb diet. 
Yeah, the transition piece is huge. I remember being so constipated when I tried paleo, and then again, as I was adjusting to keto. So there are a couple of things that I found personally that work really well for me. Magnesium oxide is great. Um, I like to take that at night, especially when you're first adapting. Um, Take it at night, preferably on an empty stomach with a bunch of water. The next morning you wake up, it might take a couple of days. Um, but in the morning you should have like a good bowel movement. If it starts to get too liquidy, you know, you've taken too much and then just back off. Um, and then there's making sure that you're having enough electrolytes because that can definitely play a role. So, um, something like a keto lemonade, which is in my book, the keto diet, um, that can be really helpful to just make sure that you're having enough of those electrolytes. Um, there's also, oh, chia pudding, like (laughs) that stuff is magic. So all you got to do is put like a tablespoon of chia and maybe some fat, like full fat, um, yogurt or milk, if you can do it or coconut milk, if you can't, or unsweetened almond milk, Uh, just let that sit overnight and it'll get very gelatinous. And that stuff is so great. If you have that in the morning, um, if you do more of the fatty coffees, I would advise putting a little bit of chia in the fatty coffee and blending it. And that can be helpful as well. Just making sure that you're having that fiber. that's going to help you go. Um, vitamin C can also be really great. Uh, the, the sign that you've taken too much vitamin C is diarrhea. So you can kind of play around with taking enough vitamin C that it keeps your bowels um, moving. Water intake is really big. I find when I was first adjusting keto, um, I wasn't as thirsty as I was normally. So just making sure that before I felt the thirst, I was making sure that I always had water around. And then you have more of the gut health things like, you know, taking a daily probiotic, um, the gut shots or sauerkraut juice can be really great just to keep things moving. Um, making sure that you're having enzymes with every meal, or maybe you have apple cider vinegar before meals and just make sure that you're, um, kind of setting the digestive stage for stuff to be broken down. Um, and then with MCT oil, um, MCT oil for some can cause some gastrointestinal issues. So just be mindful, you know, oftentimes it will happen, uh, and happen to me the first day of my ketogenic diet, I ate way too much fat. Like it was just too much. I needed to baby step in. So you might think, you know, MCT oil is going to give me ketones. I'll just have like a quarter cup of it. Uh, maybe start small, like start with maybe a teaspoon, see how your body does, maybe a tablespoon, see how your body does and kind of work up from that. Because um, I think more oftentimes than not, we come at anything with, you know, that all or nothing mentality of, nope, I'm doing keto. I'm going to hit 200 grams a day of fat. And like yesterday I had 10 grams because that's the way I was eating yesterday. Just kind of like ease yourself into it. Um, and, and definitely pay attention to your gut, you know, do the magnesium, the vitamin C, if you don't want to do more supplements, go toward making sure you're having enough fiber. There's actually a great recipe on my website, um, called flax focaccia. If you just Google like healthful pursuit flax focaccia, you'll find it. Um, and that was like my saving grace when I first started keto to just like eat that every day. Um, and my gut really liked it. Um, the, cons- the constipation thing also, I mean, definitely that's a big symptom of thyroid dysfunction. So definitely get your yes. thyroid tested. And um, the thing, I don't know if you have anything about resistant starch in your book, but that's one thing that has really helped me with constipation. <laughs> so if you um, if you haven't tried that, just put like a tablespoon of like green banana or... Uh, the unmodified, the modified potato starch in the Bob's Red Mill in your smoothie. And, you know, that's probably not going to mess up your ketosis too much because it's, you know, what do you think? Yeah, it shouldn't. I mean, resistant starch should pass through that whole thing. And there's uh, like through your digestion and not affect your blood sugar. So I know that when I, so if you're first starting a ketogenic diet, yes, hundred percent start right off with your resistant starches because your gut's probably in a better place. But what I found is after I'd done ketosis for like six months, when I tried to add resistant starch in, my gut was so in, like just not in love with it. So I just started very, very, very small. I think it was like an eighth of a teaspoon of the potato starch and kind of work my way up. So if you've been having starches and they're okay, yeah, just continue. Um, and it shouldn't kick you out of ketosis. It should totally pass um, that entire piece and just go to your gut and not affect your blood sugar. Yeah, you may have um, 
you may have a lot of gas, but you know, if you're really constipated, you know, who cares? Like as long as you go to the bathroom. Totally. Um, Get it out. Yeah. Totally. And uh, the other thing is, you can also just do a green banana if you just don't want to, you know, like you said, I don't want to do a supplement or something. Just, you know, have a green banana and see what happens or half one and um, ease into it. Um, so I'm sure you have, you know, lots and lots of people writing you in. And you know, what are some of the biggest keto mistakes that you see? Um, biggest ones. Okay. Uh, not eating enough. That's a big one. Uh, a lot of people, especially women, will write in and say, you know, I lost my period eating keto. And then I kind of say, like, what have you been eating? And they said to me, I'm like, yeah, you're not eating enough. Um, and that's usually why. Uh, another one is forcing yourself to fast. That's a big one. So fasting, like intermittent fasting and ketosis go so well together. Um, but if you're hungry please eat. Don't force yourself to fast. I mean, if you've been told by a doctor that you need to fast and they're monitoring things and you're hungry and like work with them, but if you're just a regular Joe like me, you don't need to force yourself to fast if you're hungry. So that's a huge mistake, especially, um, you know, being a woman in reproductive age, if you are literally starving and you're thinking about food the minute you wake up, then please have breakfast. If a fatty coffee thing isn't enough for you or you want to look for more nutrient density, um, then have, you know, eggs and bacon with some greens and go about your day. Um, fasting isn't this all or nothing thing. Um, like for example, this morning before our call, I was like, yeah, I'm not really hungry yet. I'm just going to, you know, not eat. And you know, tomorrow I might wake up or yesterday, actually I woke up immediately and was hungry. So I didn't fast that day. So I think that's another, um, pretty big mistake. Um, the thing about fasting is, uh, I mean, it's intermittent, so you have to do it as you yes. feel like it. And also, I think people need to, I think people need to be ketogenic for a while before they start throwing in these long fasts. I mean, maybe men can do it, but, um, and they don't have to be super long. Isn't it like you can get the benefits on like 14 hours and that's, so, I mean, I think that's the whole great thing about your book is that you have all these charts so that you can customize, you know, based on your age and your weight or or what stage of life you're in. And so um, that's what I think is really different about your book than, I mean, I've actually never seen a book like yours on ketogenic, but anyway, so what are some of the other mistakes you were going to mention? Yeah, you bet. Um, another one is not eating enough fat. So, you know, you think the ketogenic diet is like a good idea and you're, a little bit worried about the fat because saturated fat and cholesterol and I don't want to raise my cholesterol and have to be put on statins and that can be another mistake because then I mean coupled with you're probably not eating enough because you're not eating enough fat and you've lowered your carbohydrates but you're not eating enough fat to become ketogenic so you're kind of in this like weird place of not eating enough not having enough fat and your body's like kind of drained of the glycogen but not getting enough fat to switch over to fat burning and you're probably going to feel like garbage um, and another one is the electrolyte piece of just not having enough electrolytes or not paying attention to that if you go into the ketogenic diet eating you know eggs and bacon and some butter and sausages and things like that and you're not really paying attention to greens or avocados or electrolyte powder or adding lemon juice and salt to water you're probably going to feel like garbage for a little while um, and it might actually extend, like I worked with a client that, um, said, you know, I'm not doing electrolytes, like keto, um, the keto flu will just, you know, pass by. And he was in keto flu for like three weeks. <laughs> just take some electrolytes, just have some greens, some avocado, just something. Um, so that can be another big mistake. And then people feel that way and they're like, nah, this isn't for me. Um, and without giving it a solid, um, chance, by having enough electrolytes. So I would say that those are probably the top ones that I see um, constantly. And I think um, just offset, and we kind of talked about this before with calories, of, of thinking that macros are the only way to manipulate your ketogenic diet. Uh, I see that so often of just, keto diet doesn't work for me, I'm not losing weight, and so I'm like trying to figure out what macro ratio is good for me. And then I you know, chat with them a little bit more, and it turns out there was one woman, in fact, um, she was, uh, turning 40, her husband just lost his job or his, yeah, his husband, her husband just lost his job and her son was graduating from high school that same week. 
So she was feeling like her baby was leaving the nest, her husband, you know, can't support them, and she was freaking out about that, and she's wondering why she can't be ketogenic, like, it's just not working. And I'm like, well, stress is a huge piece to um, allowing yourself to be ketogenic. So there's so much more to the conversation than just calories, and I think oftentimes we focus solely on that without looking at the big picture. And lastly, I would have to say, um, or they will they stay up all night looking at their computer, and they're like, yeah. "Why can't my macro? Why aren't my macros right?" It's like, "Well, stop watching, stop staying up till three in the morning on your phone and looking at Facebook," you know? Yeah, like have a bath, put some magnesium salt in there, listen to some good music, maybe light some candles, and go to bed. And that, you know, during that stressful period, you're totally right. Like, you also need to look at the self care, and that's what's been so powerful with um, my experience on a ketogenic diet and why I wanted to come out with this book of just there's so many um, ways to make the ketogenic diet work with you. And if you've had an experience with keto that hasn't been all that positive, it's probably because, you know, you were either told uh, my way or the highway and this is the only way to make it work. And it's not. It's just not. And um, I know that I was really frustrated after those six months of, you know, ketosis feels so good but yet it feels so horrible at the same time and how can I make this work for me um and and that's why I wanted to come out with this because just like you know we all look differently we're we all need a slightly different approach to our eating style and um I just wanted to have that voice in this space of one that's very much a my way or the highway approach to eating and it it, it really doesn't need to be that way. And I think we all get a little bit lost on calories being the only problem and why, you know, the diet fails um, because we failed the diet, not that the diet failed us. And I wanted to write a book that said, it's probably the diet failing you. And it's just a matter of you adjusting it to make it work with you. Um, and, and that's a huge mistake that I see time and time again of just thinking, you know, I can't trust my body. I'm just going to follow this. Um, like scripture and it'll be fine and then it's not and then people think that they did something wrong and that's not that's not the case well like like even like you said I mean people are carrying I mean especially women I mean that's the whole mindset that we're familiar with is that we carry the diet mentality through whatever diet we choose and it's just like okay well I have to cut everything and then I'm just not doing it good enough or hard enough you know yeah, and then they're skipping the baths and they're staying up late, playing around with their macros, and they could be cuddling with their kids and being happy. And, you know, when you're in a stressful state, it's actually really hard for your body to maintain a state of ketosis. Um, and so, you know, your ketones can drop, you're not feeling your best. Um, but, you know, if you're cuddling up with your kid or having a bath or doing stuff that you enjoy, that's actually going to be helpful on your ketogenic journey. And being in ketosis and having your brain lit up for sometimes the first time ever. Like I know after a couple of weeks of eating ketosis or eating ketogenic, um, having had ADHD for over 15 years, it was like, what? I have like my brain just, I wasn't used to being able to think fully and clearly and just all these emotions that I could feel that I couldn't feel before and understanding what people were saying to me and not having to like watch their lips and try to ignore everything else going on it just it puts you in such a great place to also heal your body because you get so much more in touch with your surroundings and what you need and it's a really powerful place to be and you mentioned i mean how do you know you're in ketosis i mean what kind of methods do you use to to judge that yeah, so there are a couple of ways you can go about it. If you're first starting out, it can be helpful to um, test for your ketones, but if you're coming from more of a blistered relationship with food and you know that you obsess about weighing yourself and stuff like that and it's just a slippery slope to counting things, um, I'll give you some other tools. But um, if you want to test your ketones, there are three different ways to do it. You have the breath, the urine, and the blood. The urine... Um, It'll probably work for the first couple of weeks and they're little test strips and you can get them at the pharmacy for a couple of dollars and you just like pee on this little strip and then if it turns like an eggplant purple color, then you know that you're in pretty deep ketosis. But the problem with this is once your body becomes pretty fat adapted, chances are you're not going to dump as many ketones into the urine. So oftentimes people will be eating ketogenic for like three weeks and then test their urine one day and it says that they're not in ketosis and they're like, what did I do wrong? 
it's actually about, like, what did you do right? Your body's using the ketones. Um, so I like to go more toward breath or blood. So with breath, it's just um, a breath meter. And the breath meter um, requires you to kind of coach yourself through making the same kind of breath each time. So what I would recommend is when you first get the ketonics, um, sit down with it, play around with it, try to get your breathing technique pretty similar from test to test. So sit down for like an hour, plug it in, try to get the same um, reading for the next hour and kind of test out how you're breathing, how long it took, um, because it, it's, it's a very sensitive test. So if you blow for 10 seconds one day and then 15 seconds for the next or all chest um, breathing versus all belly breathing, it's going to result in a different um, test. And it can also be influenced by um, your alcohol, your recent alcohol consumption and a bunch of other factors. So it's a pretty sensitive test. And then there's blood, um, which I prefer. Um, it's going to test the beta hydroxybutyrate in your blood. It's pretty accurate. The only problem is that it's pretty expensive. So, um, I recommend like for the thir first 30 days track, you know, your ketones with your blood, get a feel for when they raise with different things, when they get lower with different things. Take note of how you feel when they're higher, how you feel when they're lower. Um, write it down, journal, whatever you need to do. Make a little video for yourself and then stop testing because, I mean, I was spending $280 a month on testing and uh, that's a really epic date with my husband or an awesome sister date or like anything. <laughs> my, getting my nails done, going to the spa. So I would rather do those things. Uh, but if you don't want to test, there are some signs that you can go for. Um, Usually you're going to become kind of fat adapted or on your way in about the first 10 days is when you should start to feel um, more energetic in the morning. You, you shouldn't have um, energy crashes in the afternoon. When you crave food, like when you're hungry, you're going to think, oh, I want, you know, um, bacon with greens instead of, oh, I could really go for a pizza right now, you know, um, and kind of just that that fueling or when you're feeling a little bit off and you reach for something, it's going to be like a fat bomb as opposed to a granola bar. That could be another um, good indication that your body's in the right path. Um, fasting, like what you mentioned, Caitlin, it should come quite easily. So that's a good uh, sign that you're um, becoming fat adapted when you kind of wake up in the morning and you're like, don't really feel like anything. Um, when you get less snacky, when you get less hangry and that's like, when you need food right now, there's no other option. You just need it. Um, so those are kind of the signs that you can go off of that aren't tied to testing, but should give you a pretty good indication of whether or not you are on your way to fat adaption. Yeah, that's, you can kind of feel like this kind of buzzing or something. I mean, after a while, you just kind of know it mm. rather than having to worry about little, all the, you know, paraphernalia. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it takes a little bit of trust and, uh, well, I think that your book is awesome and I think everyone is going to get so much out of it. And, you know, if, if you've had, if you tried keto and it didn't really work for you, then definitely, you know, get this book and give it another shot because there's a lot of customization options that you offer. And I think that's really amazing for people because I think they need to really get to know their bodies on this journey and not just have, okay, it's 20 grams of carb, 20, 20 total carbs or less. And that's it. You know, that, that approach I think is, you know, a little bit too extreme for most people. And, um, so it's on the 11th, right? And there's just a few days. That's when it's going to hit the stores. Yeah, it will be on April 11th. It'll be um, in most bookstores across the U.S. and Canada, also online. Um, you can get online information at ketodietbook.com. Um, and in the U.S., it'll be at all Costco, I think almost all Costco stores, like on April 11th. Um, so if it's April 11th now or later of 2017, um, you should be able to get it at any bookstore. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about all that. Oh, yeah. Costco's awesome. It has so many good uh, ketogenic food options, too, so you can fill up your cart at a good price, and you can get your book at the same time, so that'll be awesome. Well, I will go to my Costco and take a picture for Instagram, so make sure, yeah. make sure you're following Leanne on um, all her channels, 
Is it always Healthful Pursuit? Yeah, so you can find me at healthfulpursuit.com on Instagram as Healthful Pursuit. Um, I also have a podcast called the Keto Diet Podcast, and I also made, like you are talking about Costco, I actually made a Costco Keto shopping list, which you can get at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash Costco. So if you're like, what can I have at Costco? Even, you know, I'm snacky. What can I eat while I'm shopping at Costco? Um, I've definitely included that as well for all Costco things. But yeah, Healthful Pursuit, Leanne Vogel, you can find me by any of those things. Well, thanks so much for coming on and please share this podcast with somebody who is trying to get healthy and is a raw food vegan and uh, (laughs) so they can get their period back. So we love having you on Leanne and um, please leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks.